You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. and pricking their hearts and cutting their hearts and telling them, you need to pay attention. Something important is coming and there's something that you're going to have to do. The Holy Spirit took Peter's message and used it to convict the hearts of the listeners. After all, Peter told them they were guilty of crucifying their Messiah. And if they were guilty of crucifying their Messiah, what's God going to do to me? What's God going to do to them? They must be afraid. This stirred up all kinds of stuff within their hearts. The spoken word of God told to them by Peter does all kinds of, of things in your heart. When you hear a message and feel convicted, that is actually a sign of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was moving in the hearts of the people who were listening to Peter's message at Pentecost. In today's message, Pastor Dave will be sharing the importance of hearing the Holy Spirit when he convicts us. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 2 as he continues his message, Peter's Sermon Part 3. Today, we are going to conclude Peter's sermon. We've been studying Peter's sermon now for three weeks. This is the third week. We've been studying Peter's first sermon, which can be found in the book of Acts chapter 2. So take a minute and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to kind of review Peter's sermon to begin with, but our main focus today will be on verses 37 to 41. So we are going to be in Acts 2. We're going to be looking at Peter's sermon We are going to specifically look at the verses 37 through 41. I'll read aloud if you could read along silently, please. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Well, we're going to review Peter's sermon. Peter's first sermon, and some say it was his best. It began back in verse 12 when Peter responded to the question, Whatever could this mean? He began to them by explaining what had happened. He explained that the strange phenomenon that they were witnessing was the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, and that this was the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit upon all flesh. He told them that this is what you're witnessing, brethren. The Holy Spirit has come. The promise of the Father is now upon us, and you are witnessing this very thing. After Peter told the crowd what had happened, he told them how it happened. He told them about Jesus Christ. He spoke clearly and directly as he laid out for them the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. He provided for these seekers of God four distinct proofs that Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, was resurrected. These proofs he would clearly show that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the anointed one of God, 
the Holy One of Israel, the one that they'd been waiting for. The first proof that Peter used was the very person of Jesus Christ. Peter told them something that they already knew. Jesus was a man. But in this instance, Peter was talking about the incarnation of God, God incarnate, God coming to flesh and dwelling among us. Again, this was fulfilling Scripture in Isaiah 7, 14. And later we read in Matthew 1, 22 and 23, it says, so all this might be done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Jesus' birth, God coming to earth as a man, a man just like us, a human being, fully man, but fully God. Jesus coming to earth, and we celebrate that. The Apostle John in his epistle starts out his epistle in chapter 1 and verse 14 with this statement, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. The word is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the word of God, the true living word of God. And we beheld his glory, John says. Yeah, Peter indeed declared that Jesus was a man. But he was a man who was attested by God to you, he says, to do miracles, signs, and wonders. These men who had gathered in the temple that day, this day of Pentecost, could not deny the fact that when Jesus did the miracles, when Jesus healed the blind man, when Jesus healed the lame, when Jesus healed the sick, when Jesus raised the dead, they could not deny that these miracles, signs, and wonders were done by the hand of God. They couldn't deny this. They saw it. To deny this would deny God. They had no choice but to accept it. These miracles, they attributed to God. But, Peter says, he, Jesus, was delivered by predetermined purpose and the foreknowledge of God to you, Peter said. And you have taken him by lawless hands and have crucified him, putting him to death. We talked about this last week. It was mentioned today in prayer. When Jesus came to earth, he had one purpose and one purpose only, to go to the cross and die. That was his purpose. And as he walked on the earth, he set his eyes like a flint toward the cross. And everything he did, every purpose he had, followed that direction with one purpose and one purpose only. He knew exactly where he was going, and he knew exactly when it was going to happen. Nothing happened that he did not know of or did not allow to happen to him. When his time had come, he went straight to the cross, despising all shame. But there was purpose and there was foreknowledge. God's plan was determined before the foundations of the earth, it says. God knew all along that this was the plan. The plan was for Jesus to come to earth as a man. He would die for us. He would redeem us. And then we would be reconciled to God the Father through his death and resurrection. Peter says to the crowd, you crucified him. I can look at the mirror and I can look at me and I can point to myself and say, Dave, your sin that crucified Jesus Christ. That's what Peter was saying to them. You crucified him, although the Jews literally had him crucified. But we all hold responsible for Jesus' death. Scripture clearly says that his love was demonstrated by why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I can be held responsible for the death of Jesus Christ because it was my sin that held him to that cross. It wasn't nails. It was my sin that held him there. But it was predetermined by the forecounsel of God. You know, I can imagine at this point in Peter's sermon... That these guys, these devout men, are getting kind of itchy. They're kind of standing there because what's happening is 
Their hearts are starting to be pricked with the word of God. Their hearts are starting to be impounded here. And they're like, we don't know what's going on here. Because when the truth hits your heart, you know it to be true. And there's no denying when the truth hits your heart, you go, oh my gosh, yeah, that's true. That's true. And this is what's happening to these men there that day. That day as they were seeking God. Well, you know, the scripture says, if you seek God, you will indeed find him. They found God that day. They were seeking and they found him. Peter's sermon They were being convicted by the Holy Spirit. Their insides were burning and churning as these truths were unfolded. And their hearts affirmed the truth and confirmed the truth. And they're like, whoa. And they're starting to get nervous because now they're going to be held responsible for Jesus' death. They're going to be held responsible for the actual death of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure they're starting to shake in their boots going, wow, this is crazy. But Peter didn't stop there. No, he couldn't stop there. And our life doesn't stop there. Too many of my friends have stopped at the cross. They stopped right at the foot of the cross. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to go to the foot of the cross because that's where repentance starts. We need to go to the foot of the cross because that's where we've been healed. That's where we've been saved. But Christ isn't dead. Christ is alive, praise God. Christ went to the tomb and he arose from the dead. And if you stop short at the cross, you don't get to the resurrected life. You've got to walk through the cross, accept the sacrifice, walk through the cross into a loving Wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ and be alive. Sometimes I have to fight with my wife because she always tells me, one of these days I'm just going to grab that microphone and start screaming, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Well, that's how we feel sometimes. That's how we feel because he is truly alive in our lives. And sometimes you just want to scream that. Sometimes I think we should. Sometimes it's okay. Not right now. But I think sometimes it's okay to scream it. Peter doesn't stop at the cross. He starts to explain them the truth of Jesus' resurrection. He says, Jesus, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should die by it. Peter was telling these men that the death of Jesus Christ couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold Jesus Christ. He defeated death. Why? Because God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from death's agony, because it was impossible for death to keep a hold of him. Now, Peter's going to support this argument of the resurrection by quoting two very mysterious Psalms by the prophet David. Yeah, I said prophet David because these Psalms are prophetic. They're also called messianic. Now, when you hear the word messianic, that means pertaining to the Messiah, pertaining to Jesus Christ. So these Psalms are both prophetic and they are messianic. They're Psalms 16, verses 8 to 11, and Psalms 110, verse 1. We're not going to take time to look at them now because we studied them last week, but it's a good thing to look at. Peter uses these Psalms to declare that Jesus is alive. He uses these psalms to say, hey, David, the king, is dead and buried this day. David, the king, is dead and buried, and we know that. His bones are still in the grave. But Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, go check the tomb out, guys. It's empty. He's not there. This was the second proof of the resurrection that he was trying to give to them, the prophetic psalms of David. The third proof of the resurrection was the witness of believers. Look what it says in verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, of which we were all witnesses. Peter's saying, I'm a witness of Christ after the resurrection. He showed himself to me. He spoke with me. We ate. We communed. We fellowship. We prayed. I saw him. I saw him with my own eyes. If you don't believe me, ask these 12. Ask this 120. Ask the 500 that were gathered that one day where Jesus appeared to them. There are witnesses. And we talked about this last week. If you were accused of a crime and you had 500 witnesses show up to testify against you, I think you would be convicted. I think there'd be a conviction here. But people say, no, 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 Jesus didn't arise, raised from the dead. 
He's not, a, he's not alive. You stole them. You guys stole them. You guys stole the body. It's just a put on. Then why would people go to their death proclaiming Jesus Christ's resurrection? I mean, somebody holds a gun to your head and said, okay, if you tell me for sure, if you don't recant that Jesus raised from the dead, I'm going to shoot you. You mean to tell me you're going to say, and if it's a lie, you're going to say, oh, okay, it's a lie. It's a lie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But these people said, no, it happened. And they were put to death. They were put to death. The witnesses, the witnesses of believers. There's too many witnesses out there. Too many witnesses. So Peter gave these three really important proofs. The person of Jesus Christ, the prophecy of David, and the witness of believers. And finally, Peter gives them a fourth proof. He says, the fourth proof of Jesus' resurrection is the presence of the Holy Spirit. I just got finished telling you that the Holy Spirit is here. The prophecy of Joel is fulfilled. So Jesus must have died and came alive again. He must be alive. It says, therefore, in, in verses 33 to 36, it says, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. What Peter is saying here is that the Holy Spirit's in the world. And if the Holy Spirit is in the world, God must have sent him. Joel promised that the Holy Spirit would come one day. Jesus himself promised that the Holy Spirit would come one day. You can read about it in Luke 24, 49, John 14, 26, John 15, 26, and even in Acts 1-4, you can read about those things where Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit is going to come. But if Jesus is dead, he cannot send the Spirit. Therefore, he must be alive. Furthermore, he could not send the Spirit unless he's returned to the Father. That's what it says in John 16-7. So Jesus ascended to heaven. Peter closes his argument about Jesus Christ with this very, very bold statement. He says, in verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This was huge to these Jews that were hearing this. This was really, really huge as they took this in, as they were listening to this. Peter was telling us, listen, Jewish brothers and sisters, actually just Jewish brothers, the sisters were probably way, way off in the temple someplace. Jewish brothers, the one you crucified, he's your Messiah. You guys committed the greatest criminal act in the history of mankind. You killed your own Messiah. You did it. And they were stand there. And they were in awe. Peter, speaking through the power and authority of the Holy Spirit, has now laid out for them the truth of the gospel right in front of them. He laid out the life, the death, the resurrection. Yeah, he did. He laid out the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ right before their eyes. Right there for them. He had told them, what happened? The Holy Spirit had come. He had told them how it happened. Jesus is alive. God raised him from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit as he said he would. Now, Peter is ready to tell them why it happened. The why. Peter's ready to hit them right between the eyes. He said, all this happened so that sinners could be saved. All this happened so that the world would be reconciled back to the Father. This was Peter's statement. If you look at verse 37, he says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And the men said to the, Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They don't know what to do. Their minds are boggled. They, they don't know what to do. They know something has happened. They know that something has happened in their heart. They know that their heart is now overflowing and they want more. Something has to happen now. They're, they're panicking here. These curious seekers of God. 
They were celebrating the Feast of Pentecost that day in the temple. They were cut to the heart by what Peter said to them by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been listening to God's Word or reading God's Word and been cut to the heart? Wow. Sometimes you read that Word and you go, oh my gosh, it applies right to my life and there's something I have to do. That's what's happening here. They were cut to the heart by the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaking in John 16, verses 8 to 11, told us why the Holy Spirit would come. He said the Holy Spirit's going to come for this very reason. In chapter 16, verse 8, he says, And when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. Here we see this very thing happening in the lives of these men right now. The Holy Spirit was bombarding their hearts and pricking their hearts and cutting their hearts and telling them, you need to pay attention. Something important is coming and there's something that you're going to have to do. The Holy Spirit took Peter's message and used it to convict the hearts of the listeners. After all, Peter told them they were guilty of crucifying their Messiah. And if they were guilty of crucifying their Messiah, what's God going to do to me? What's God going to do to them? They must be afraid. This stirred up all kinds of stuff within their hearts. The spoken word of God told to them by Peter does all kinds of, of things in your heart. That's why it's so important in our lives that we allow the God by the Holy Spirit to do the work he wants to do in our hearts, that we let him do that work, that we don't prevent any work that he wants to do, that we open up our hearts and say, okay, Lord, whatever it is you need to do, do it. Do it in my heart and let me see. This is why it's so important to listen to the Word of God without distractions because we don't want to miss a single ounce of the Word of God. We want to glean and get every single thing God has for you today. It doesn't matter if it's worship. It doesn't matter if it's the spoken word. Whatever it might be, God wants to speak to your heart today. And if He didn't want to speak to your heart today, you'd have stayed home. He wouldn't have brought you here. He wouldn't have had you sitting in front of me today if He didn't want to speak to you. If He didn't want to show you something in His Word. These men were cut to the heart. God got right to the issue, right to the real problem, the heart. These men were in need of a heart adjustment, and Peter used the Word of God to accomplish it. Interesting, in Hebrews 4, verse 13, the author of Hebrews says this about the Word of God, for the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Remember what Jeremiah said about the heart? It's deceitfully wicked. Who could know it? But when the Holy Spirit cuts it, when the Holy Spirit pierces it with the Word of God, it opens. And it's opened up now ready to receive something. We need to discipline our flesh to allow the Word of God to do what it wants to do. We can't harden our hearts to the Word of God. Oh, you can, but I ask that you would not. Don't harden your hearts to what the Lord has to say to you. Listen and receive and accept what the Lord wants to speak to you about. These men heard the word of God and they were cut to the heart. When this happens, it usually leads to a response. It usually leads to a response. And their response was, what do we do? What do we do? Help us. They realize the state that they're in and they realize that they now need help. What do we do? Anytime the gospel message is given, a response is required. And there are only two general responses when the gospel is given. Yes, I want it. No, I don't. There's no middle of the road. Jesus declares in Matthew 12, 20, and again in Luke 11, 23, he who is not with me is against me. 
And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. If you're undecided about Jesus Christ, you are decided. And they're decided against him. There's no middle of the road when it comes to the gospel message. These men were cut to the heart, and they wanted to know what to do. What were their choices? They were worried, convicted by the Holy Spirits. Their hearts were on fire, and they didn't know what to do with it. What shall we do? What shall we do? Peter immediately looks at them and says, become members of the church, join some committees, go door to door, knocking on doors and sharing the message, and pay your tithes. Nah, I don't think that's what Peter said. I don't think that's what Peter said. I don't think at all. You see, when sinners are convinced of their sin, they have to be encouraged. They need to be encouraged. Ezekiel the prophet says in Ezekiel 34, 16, that which is broken must be bound up. Sinners must be told that although their case is sad, it's not desperate. There is hope, just like there was hope for you and me. There is hope, and we have to show them that hope. In verse 38, Peter again answers another question. They said, what must we do? What must we do? And Peter said to him, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter says, repent. He begins his invitation by saying, repent. Now, repent is not a new word to these devout seekers of God, these devout Jewish men who were in the temple that wet day. They've heard the word repent before. All through the Old Testament, we see the Lord telling the nation of Israel to repent through the prophets and through the men of God. In Ezekiel 4, verse 6, Ezekiel the prophet says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from your abominations. Again, Ezekiel says through the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel 18, verses 30, 31, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that the iniquity will not ruin you. Cast away from all your transgressions which you've committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Now you're going to sit back to me and go, yeah, I know, Dave. I know about, all about the Old Testament, all about that repent stuff in the Old Testament. Fire and brimstone, bring it on. I've read it all before. That's all the Old Testament does is wrath, wrath, wrath. Okay, in Matthew 3, Verse 2, John the Baptist started his ministry by saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah, 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 Dave, but John the Baptist was basically the old, last of the Old Testament. He wasn't really a New Testament prophet, although he was. Okay, so turn to Matthew 4, verse 17. In Matthew 4, verse 17, Jesus is just coming back from spending 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. He's coming back, and it is recorded that he's now in the area of Capernaum. He's starting his ministry. His ministry starts, and look what it says in Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And finally, in Matthew 9, verse 13, Jesus said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus himself, first words in ministry was repent. Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? 
he met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope. Show.